Hey everybody, this is Rich. I just wanted to uh, let you know this podcast uh, episode turned out to be a, a lot more than what we were anticipating. It's kind of a supersized episode, so I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. As you go into it, you may want to listen to it in pieces. I don't know what your listening habits are, but we talked about dividing it into a few different uh, pieces to post separately. We elected not to do that. We're just going to leave it in your hands. You have control, so uh, you can exercise your free will to do that as you are, are dealing with this. Uh, toward the end of the podcast, you may chuckle at the irony of that statement. Anyway, here we go. Oh, wow. If I do things with my hands down here, nobody can see. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> Just see you moving. Why is she moving like that? So you don't know what I'm twitch? doing. I'm like making pottery. I'm cooking something. <laughs> Welcome to the home of <laughs> professional podcasting. I find that interesting. I haven't had enough coffee today. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever known you to not have had enough coffee. I mean, the reality is, is there such a thing? <laughs> I guess when you feel like your heart's going to explode. Now, there's definitely such a thing as not having enough tacos. That's important. That's not where I thought you were going to go, no, but no. I agree with you. <laughs> where did you think I was going to go? Coffee. I thought you were going to stick with coffee. Yeah. I don't it's know. For some reason, I've got tacos on my mind, so... I seldom don't have so tacos. What, so, what's say, so what's or different pe- or from... Or pizza. You know, these are, if you had to choose between tacos or pizza, what, what would you pick? Uh, Taco pizza. Depends on the day, but as a rule, pizza. But I'm a, pizza is nature's most perfect food. Tacos are right there next I'm to a, it. I'm a cheeseburger girl. I will my say... my favorite food. I can't go wrong there either. Although I've had bad... Cheeseburgers. A bad cheeseburger is an unpleasant experience. Right. And if you have bad it's pizza, really, it's still kind of okay pizza. It's still pizza. pizza. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can I agree with your, that. You your completely flat Jack's frozen pizza. It's, right. still, it's still pizza. pizza. It's, it's still, still bread, sauce, and cheese. It's not so. Giordano's, but, you know, there's... Nothing is a Giordano's. There's some legit Get out of here, New York. There. And, and that's just, you know... That's just reality, and so oh we, gosh, can, are we, we can deny pizza it. Today? We can deny it's it. It's a if good we day, want, but there is there is nothing wrong with New York pizza. That is a good, good experience. But if you're talking about ultimate experience, that Giordano's stuff. People pizza, are going to argue that that's like a casserole. If that's a casserole, then casseroles have been elevated to an ambrosia <laughs> casseroles level. Casseroles have to have, by rule, some kind of topping, like Ritz crackers or saltines or chips or something. My mom just made a tuna casserole. I love Ritz tuna casserole. And it was pretty killer. It was, it was I don't excellent. care if my Midwest is showing. I love tuna casserole. <laughs> you know, it is funny, though, but when you bring up pizza, you're going to get those arguments. Oh, yeah. I just saw a thing on Twitter today. Uh, I can't remember who. Who tweeted it? But these are the arguments I can have with people. Oh, Sarah Spain from ESPN tweeted uh, from ESPN, of course, tweeted that uh, those who seventy-five percent of those who uh, you know crack wise about uh, Chicago stuffed pizza have never tasted it. Right. The other twenty-five percent are either lactose intolerant or morons, and these are just the facts. So when you make a tweet like that, you know. You're gonna you're confronting people. Right. You're gonna have some kind of an issue. You're that poking is, the bear. That's right, and you're gonna always find people falling on both sides. It's innately, what do I want to say, divisive, confrontational. It's, it, there's kind of a, a thing that's that's coming. I understand out there. the purpose of New York pizza as it pertains to New York. Like you can fold it and eat it while you're walking. I get it. It's not an experience. I want an experience when I'm eating. Walking through New York by itself is an experience. Well, I feel like I need to be like looking, not eating pizza. <laughs> That's right. I need focus. <laughs> and, and truthfully, I want total focus on my pizza. I don't want well, anything Right. That's what I'm saying. You want an experience. Yeah. Okay. Deep dish pizza demands your attention. And there are lots of good ones. Gino's Lisa has a good one. There are, there are lots of good ones. But Giordano's, Giordano's is, is that's my first um, exposure to Giordano's was when I was at Wheaton, when, I, when mm. Shelly and I met. And that was our thing, right? So that we're going to get this pizza. And, and I'll tell you, the next day, cold for breakfast, still Ain't glorious. Wrong with that. I remember glorious. I went on a date there once in my youth. and um, As we get older, our bodies maybe don't process well, it as well. Well, the thing is, they, they're, we were like, what, should, what size should we order? We'd never been there. And the waitress was like, oh, for two people, like the smallest size. You're not going to be able to eat it. <laughs> and we're like, well, it's pizza. Because you think about like Pizza Hut and you're like, okay, let's get a medium. 
She got a medium, and they brought it out. And of course, there's no way. But you push through as you hard girls as are you so can. Dainty. You it's, push through as hard as you can to eat as much as possible. It's cute that you can say it's not going to happen. That's, I, I'm reminded of a Ron Swanson scene, and I, you know, I know, you know, when he's at the rest at the give me all diner, the bacon, give me all the bacon and eggs. Afraid you've you know. misunderstood. That's, that's how I feel with the pizza. <laughs> give me all the pizza. You have. Oh, I think right. you misunderstand. Not a lot of pizza. <laughs> I want all <laughs> the pizza you have. And well, and the thing of it is, when we have these confrontations, the, you know this this tweet that that Sarah Spain of ESPN put out about. I don't know who that is, by the way. It doesn't okay. matter. Uh, she's from Chicago, so she was. A, I would she, imagine she was a Chicago radio personality who then uh, moved on to the national you, ESPN thing. Yeah. Anyway, so when you make a tweet like that. And I think it's the nature of a lot of she knew what statements she was doing. that are going out there. You are inviting, mm-hmm. by its very nature, uh, the the criticism. And I have to tell people this a lot of the time, some of my young relatives. Uh, if you don't want the controversy, then don't put it out there on social media. You, right. you know, you can have your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. But when you put it out there, you are inviting the the pushback. You're inviting that that controversy. And it's so different from talking like if you and I had a debate about pizza. Right. It's different from me saying Chicago pizza is the best on right. on Facebook and inviting in all these different opinions from people who may not have as close of a relationship with me or right. know know my real feelings. And the or thing of it is, I can you know we can do that. And because it's pizza. So we can kind right, of I'm just using that chuckle about right. it, you know, and it's. it's for some I'd rather talk about deal. that than half of the other stuff. That but if I'm going to put it out there, about. then I don't. I should not expect that I'm going to make this tweet, and and only Everyone's people gonna who's going to agree right. with me are, are going to then respond. Right. A lot of those replies are going to be, you know, folks from New York or whatever saying, "Are you kidding me? That's crazy!" Or Detroit, why would you Detroit ever do that? Is also very good. I don't really know what Detroit pizza it's is. It's kind of like Pizza Hut pan like pizza. Think pizza that. with bullet holes in it? Or? Whoa. Sorry. That's probably Chicago pizza <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Life, life has changed. But, it took it escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when, when we're talking about the gospel, it's a little like that. The, the nature of it invites a decision. It, it invites a controversy. And there's a confrontation that comes from it. So... I guess we can say the gospel is like pizza, or maybe the I'm gospel down. is like a pizza tweet. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> None of which is actually true, but what is true is that the nature of the gospel confronts hard hearts, demanding a response. And that's we got there. That's the the purpose of the text that that we see in chapter twenty four. And again, with as we're working through this, we're seeing a historical narrative, and so uh, Luke is laying out for us what has happened since Christ returned to the Father. And so when Jesus returned to the Father, he told his uh, disciples that were there. Paul was not among them because he was still in opposition. Um, but those who were there, he said to them, you'll receive power, the Holy Spirit. And when you receive this power, then you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions and even to the ends of the earth. And so the rest of the book is this uh, the story of, of how does the church how is it born? How does it grow? And how does it develop? And so as we are, are looking at this, this this world impact that they're having comes from the, the deep conviction that this is not just some religious thing that, that we believe, that it's, it's better than other people. You can believe your thing. Mm-hmm. Our God is better than your God kind of thing. It's No, this is reality. Everything else is a sham. There is no alternative. There is no other hope. There is no other option. It's this or you're wrong. And when you're wrong, you are you are eternally dead. You will find torment and judgment for eternity, and there is no wiggle room. Well, that very concept, by, by believing that there is a reality, especially in a postmodern world like we We've live talked in today, about this before, yeah. it, 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 when you say there is a truth, one truth, objective external truth and you don't get to decide what it is you just get to decide what you're going to do about it because it simply is that is offensive and and confrontational and it just in its very presence and in the existence of truth it demands a response Mm -hmm. from those who hear it so you know we're seeing that in so many cultural ways right now as, as people are are throwing out their their claims to truth and whatever these claims are 
it, you, you're not in a position to be able to effectively I- ignore it. You mm-hmm. can agree, you can disagree, you can refute it, you can uh, support it. All the, the different responses that are there, you kind of have to do something. And uh, just, the again, the very presence of it, the presence of democracy in our nation demands a response. It demands that you participate, that you that you vote, you can vote for whoever you want to, but by not voting, you are also responding. You are saying, I don't care, and I get what I what I have chosen. I've chosen to allow others to determine my future. Well, okay, that's what you get. But the very presence of the polls, the very presence of a, a uh, democratic republic demands some kind of a response. Mm-hmm. The gospel is like that, in that, uh, there is a, a truth claim in it. So as Paul has been going about, <clears throat> excuse me, reasoning from the scriptures in the synagogues and, and speaking over and over, not only to the Jews who are um, to some extent accepting and to a greater extent rejecting this truth, then he turns to the Gentiles and he does the same things. They don't have the same advantages. They don't have the same backgrounds. In fact, you and I were talking about this before we started off the air uh, when we were uh, we do that. <clears throat> when we were talking about um, certain people who just grow up always being the good kid, always mm-hmm. having things uh, right. When when everything you do is good and right and perfect, and everybody respects you and likes you, uh, it can sometimes be much harder for you to realize, I need a savior. I am a sinner, I am dead in my sin, and I need a savior. Um, And so the Gentiles don't have the advantages that the Jews have, and yet there's a much greater response, perhaps because they know that they are outsiders to the Jewish tradition. Many of them have seen, you're seeing the God-fearing Gentiles who are not Jewish, they're outside, but they recognize the God of the Bible is worth worshiping, and so they have turned to God when they find the completeness of, uh, of what um, the Jewish law has taught, what God's divine and eternal law has taught in Christ, they're overjoyed. Oh, wait a minute. We were outsiders. Now we can become insiders by faith in Christ. We are adopted into the family and we are just as much then children of Abraham by faith as these others are children of Abraham by blood or tradition. <clears throat> and so... Uh, now, as Paul has put this out there, it has created, by its very nature, a confrontation. Uh, it's created this, this need to respond. When, when he's here saying, you, if you don't believe this, it's not like you can just you know, let it go and everything's good. And this is kind of an extra thing that you can believe. It's a tertiary issue, kind of a gray area where you can, you know, like we might look at today, um, I don't know, speaking in tongues or some, mm. some kind of thing. That, that you can, We can disagree about this and still be believers. What he's saying is there is only Christ. There is nothing else. If you have been faithful your entire life and yet you reject Christ, you are outside of the family of God. If you have been a murderer your entire life and you receive Christ, you are made one with him, made right with God, and you are an insider to the family of God. And so this naturally divides as truth always does jesus said i didn't come to bring peace i came to bring a sword i came to bring truth that divides and as he does this we've seen in previous chapters that throughout the province of asia in particular uh, those who rejected the gospel then would create a ruckus and and now we get to chapter 23 24 He has been mobbed at the temple in Jerusalem, carried off by Jews largely from the province of Asia, from Ephesus and so on, uh, who are, they want him dead. They want him eliminated. And so the Romans come in because they don't want the disturbance. That's the one thing they cannot ever have is a disturbance. So they come in, they take Paul away. uh, They interrogate him to find out what's going on. They don't find anything uh, worthy of death. And then we find uh, that the, the Jews have also um, had, they put together a plot to kill him, which they'll do again in, in 25. So they put together this plot to kill him. Um, his nephew finds out. They whisk him away. The, under cover of darkness, the commander of the troops takes him off to Caesarea, away from Jerusalem to the Roman seat of judgment there. And, uh, and he ends up seeing the, the Roman governor Felix to, to deal with this situation. 
they get to Felix, <clears throat> and and there is we see in chapter twenty four how this plays out. So he's, mm-hmm. he's before Felix. Felix doesn't end up finding anything with him either. The commander doesn't find anything worthy of death. Felix doesn't find anything worthy of death. The Jews are bringing accusations that are false. They don't have a way to back it up. They're just launching these accusations. A lot like politics in 2020. But we're just, we're just saying stuff. We're just going to put stuff out there, accuse you of this. We can't back it up. There's no evidence for it. And the folks who claim to have seen the, the trouble aren't even there. They don't right. even show up for it. So you've got these three three kind of deadly uh, responses to the gospel that Paul has been preaching. And we see in the Jews this proud defiance, and it, it takes the form of kind of uh, how dare you, who do you think you are, you know, you can't tell us this, you know, you're accusing us of being unholy, you're a liar, same kind of stuff they did with Jesus. And so there, there's this I was going to say, this sounds indignance. very parallel to, to what Jesus went through. It, it is, and it's also parallel to what we would experience today. When And you've experienced some of this, I know yourself, and, and I think every Christian who, even if you take a mild stand, truthfully, you don't even have to say anything, but just identify with Christ. Even by association. Christ, absolutely. <clears throat> by identifying with Christ, you, just, just the presence of Christ in your life and the presence of your life in the church creates, as you reflect his reality, this, uh, this what do I want to say? I, I'm trying not to say confrontation because that's what keeps coming up. But but there is uh, they're confronted with the reality that they are not at the same place you are. Right. <clears throat> and so uh, very often we respond with this proud defiance uh, as the Jews did. There's nothing wrong. I've, I've got my religion. I've got my, or I don't need my religion. I'm, I'm good. I'm moral. I'm... I'm I'm in a good place. God's going to look at me and see that I'm doing my best. How dare you tell me that I need to repent? I've never repented of anything. I'm not going to repent of anything. I've got nothing to repent of. So, Wasn't that a Donald Trump quote? <laughs> it was, actually. It was specifically what I was thinking of at the time. Uh, and, and, and we say those things. I don't need this because I'm good. And, and, and it's just absolutely and ridiculous. And you might be good. Ridiculous that you would ever say this. Right. And then we see uh, the reaction of the Roman commander, and, and uh, the, we see kind of a worldly disinterest. Mm-hmm. I'm preoccupied with my job. I'm living in the world. This religious stuff just isn't important. You know, religion really isn't my thing. I've I've got more important things to think about. And so, as I'm pursuing the things of this world, whether it's pleasure. Uh, worldly, relation, worldly relationships, and I don't necessarily mean immoral relationships, but Just temporal relationships. My uh, my wife and kids, that's a good, important relationship to develop. But when that becomes more important to me than the things of God, then it's an idol that right. is between me and God. And so when I get caught up in my career, in my security, in all of my health, the things of this world, uh, when when my safety from COVID is more important than my relationship with God and his family, all of these things create sort of a, an indifference, a disinterest, and that's what we see there. It, it, it's just, I'm not going to worry about this. It's not important enough to me to, to see this. Right. And so uh, Felix has a different, different response. As Paul is talking through this with him, and he gives him his defense, doesn't find anything wrong with him, he keeps calling him back. He calls him back the first time, and Paul is laying out the gospel. He tells him about uh, about righteousness. and he, you know God is demanding a, a righteous life, a holiness. And he talks about self-control and the reality is we don't have it. Our, our best things aren't worth anything and we're not good at, at living up to God's standard. We, we all fall short. Well, and Felix being a typical Roman, that's far from him. This idea of righteousness that Paul's describing and self-control, not indulging the flesh, not indulging my sinful desires, that's just totally foreign to their mindset. And then he talk, talks about the judgment to come and the certainty of this, that I will stand before God and I will answer for the fact that I did my thing instead of God's thing and I threw aside righteousness and self-control to be able to indulge my pleasures, my, my pursuits. And Felix gets convicted about it enough to be stricken with fear. Mm-hmm. It tells us that he was afraid, he was frightened. And he said, that's enough. 
go go home. We're not going to talk about this anymore for now. When it's convenient, I'll come back and or I'll call you back and decide your case. And the reality is, when we're in that state, when our when our response is a fearful delay, like Felix had, I sense that God is moving. There's something happening here. I don't like it. I don't it. like it. Push I, it under the I'm, rug. I'm, I'm I'm uncomfortable with right. this conversation. You know, you're you're making me uncomfortable. It's kind of the buzzword of today. You're making me uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this. You know that that puts us in a a hardness, and the devil uses that, and so it will never be convenient when right. when we're pursuing because I mean, that. correct me if I'm wrong. Fear is an appropriate response. For sure. I mean, <laughs> but how if, if there is a certain then, judgment that right. is coming, and I know that this is inevitable, I and will face this. And I know what this. kind of horrible person and I am. Yeah, and I'm um, not. I'm not able to stand before a holy God. Right. Fear makes sense. But the, how nothing you, else makes well, then sense. Then what you do about that is the next step. Right. Yeah. So Felix was will like, I no, humble myself not and respond, right. or will I harden myself and say, you know what? Let, let's just we're not going to talk about it. Well, I harden myself like the Roman and say, that is just not, it doesn't matter. I'm not buying it. It's not important enough. It's fine. You believe your thing. You do you. I'll do me. But I got important stuff. I got to go to work. I got important stuff. There's a ball game. I got important mm-hmm. stuff. I need to, you know, dust my knickknacks. I, you know, it just nothing is, is, nothing in what you're saying is important enough to knock me off my right. schedule, to take away from my priorities. I'd love to come to church, but I go fishing on Sundays. Right. I'd love to go to church, but, you know, Saturday's a busy night, so I'm up late, and, and I'm just tired on Sundays. When the things of God are less important, I've hardened my heart against his promptings. Mm-hmm. And and obviously the proud defiance is, is a hardening of the heart. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing it. I'm rejecting it outwardly. For a lot of us, it's not an overt rejection like we see in that in that defiant mentality, but it, it's a rejection of I'm just not gonna make a decision. I'm not gonna vote. It doesn't matter to me. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna rebel against this. I'm gonna not participate in this. Or, you know, I, I feel it. It, but it's not comfortable. It hurts too much. I, I feel ashamed when I think about my sin. Uh, I don't like to think about death. You know, I hear that a lot from people. Uh, boy, I just, I'm not comfortable talking about death. I don't want to think about, you know, what's going to happen someday and all these things. It makes me afraid. Good. Right. You should be afraid. And then when you deal you with it and you it. find reality so that death is swallowed up in life, the then thing. all of a sudden I have no reason to be afraid. It's going to happen. You're right. There's no avoiding. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm, I get scared of death too. You think about it too much, and you're like, oh my gosh, because no one knows what it's going to be like. Like, what? I'm used to this. I'm not used to the unknown. Right. right. Of course. So of course, the that's unknown scary. is scary for most people. Of course, people. that's scary. Um, but again. But the better I know it, the better I know right. him. You know, I may not know what's on the other side of the door, but I know who's on the other side of the door. Right. And so, just like any other emotion, you have to decide what you're going to do about it. Right. And, and fear, I think fear is a big motivator, but it's also a big, I mean, it's fight or flight, essentially. Mm. And if you're going to choose flight, then you're going to ignore it and, right. and try to get as far away from it as possible. The thing that steers or triggers that, even if it's a good thing that you should be investing yourself in. So I get, I get that. But it, it is, it's impossible for us to hear or see the gospel and not be confronted with that reality. Mm-hmm. God, God is putting that, that choice of life and death in front of us. <gasps> I wrote down questions. Sorry, I just okay. remember. <laughs> I just and so having that choice of life and death in front of us, we can avoid the question, but it's still there. The choice is still hanging in the air. And uh, when, you know, when we read in the Old Testament, I've set before you today life and death. Choose life. Mm-hmm. It seems pretty obvious. It seems pretty easy. But most of us are like, you know, I'm just not comfortable with that question. I, let's not talk about that. Well, then you've chosen death. That's right. you, Because death is your natural state. And that's what Jesus said in John 3.18. It, it, if, if you don't do anything about this, it, by not believing, you are already condemned. You're not, you don't have to actively reject God. You're already condemned mm-hmm. because you've not believed in the Son. This is the only way to have life. The only way to the Father is through the Son. And if you don't do that, 
then you are left outside where the destruction is. And you talked on, maybe you're planning on getting into this in a little bit, but you talked on Sunday um, about the Holy Spirit moving within you to, to push you toward that, to, yes. to push you toward that decision to be one with Christ. Yeah, we can't come to, we can't come to Christ unless the Father draws us. So my question with that, um, I wasn't texting while you were preaching. I was writing down <laughs> questions. Um, I guess my question with that was, are some people then, I mean, obviously, I guess I can answer my own question. Are some people not drawn then? Or do some people, does the Holy Spirit not move in some people? And is that something that then is is predetermined? I mean, does does God allow people to be born knowing already that they'll never come to him? That that's, that's kind of blows my mind a little bit. That is one of the major points of theological controversy over the last 500 years, more than that, but, but we've seen it a lot uh, during the post-Reformation era, that really divides a lot of Christians. And oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cause controversy. The gospel by its nature <laughs> does that. So I'm... I want to. I don't make, mean to put you in a spot. No, no, I love being in a spot because <laughs> then I can be able to talk about it. Um, I'm going to try to answer it as best I can in a short period of time. Right. So because you know this could be an entire podcast right. series for us to to address, but it's impossible to avoid God as the initiator in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. When we look from Genesis to Revelation, whether we're talking about God initiating in the garden with Adam and mm-hmm. Eve, God initiating the covenant with Abraham, or with Abram and later changing it to Abraham. We see God choosing Israel. We see God then delivering Israel. We see all of these things that are going on. Um, whether whether it's Job and, uh, and the, the issues of, well, what about all the hardships that Job went through? Um, was that God or was that the devil? And the answer is, Yes, mm-hmm. it, you know the devil can't touch Job without coming to God for permission, and God, as we read the text, allows the devil to do certain things. Mm-hmm. But later on, describing that very thing, God takes ownership of that. Says, "I did this," mm-hmm. and we see that throughout the the scriptures over and over. I did this. I brought calamity. I did. and, and the psalmists uh, all go back to that. The prophets go back to that. Whatever is happening, good, bad, evil, whatever it is, it all is within the scope of God mm-hmm. and his sovereignty. Right. And if it isn't, then he's not sovereign. And if he isn't sovereign, then he isn't the God that, that right. the Bible describes him to be. When we get to the New Testament, we see uh, Paul really develops it in some key places. We see it throughout, but it's really developed very specifically in uh, Romans 9 and, and 10 and 11 to a slightly different extent as he goes from talking about believers to uh, to Israel. Uh, it, it kind of shows that this is all one package, that God has compassion on whom he has compassion. He, uh, he elects us by his own mm-hmm. sovereign choice without explanation for his own glory. We also see a number of things that indicate that we have a responsibility to choose right. as if we have a, a freedom to choose a free will and a responsibility to do that how do we separate those things I, I don't uh, because I don't think the Bible does it's a both and not an either or it's God is sovereign in his election and man is responsible underneath God's sovereignty so if if there are those and in fact since you said it, we'll just look at Romans 9. And for some folks, this will create more uh, questions than it will answers. But uh, again, the, I think the answer always is, what does the Bible say? And so the doctrine of sovereign election, as we see it through most of the New Testament in particular, as Paul brings that out, is intended and designed for our comfort, for our security. God has done this. God has saved you. If you are saved, it's because God chose you. Right. Chose you before you were ever born, before the creation of the earth. Right. He predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of the Son. He, he put it in you. He drew you. And he did so in a way that, that you would come to him, that you would repent, 
And yet, you still have to do this. You still have to respond and repent. But why me and not because he said Steve? So. Like you know, that's that's is Steve just hosed from birth? From before birth, I right. guess you would make the and he has thing. no right no way so, of. In, Sorry, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there are any Steves listening, but... Scuba Steve! Wow, really, really sorry. That's her... Tough day for Steve. No, but the thing of it is, if you're able to receive this, it's because God has made you able to receive this. And if you're not, then then he hasn't. We're all already responsible for this. We're already in our natural state of sin. This is blowing my mind a little bit. Well, and that's where I think... It, my brain is... There are a lot of things that are above our pay grade. And so we get into discussions on what God does on his side of the curtain when all we can really deal with is what we do on our side of the curtain. So ultimately, on God's end, it's all his sovereignty. Right. On our end, we don't know what God's doing. We right. can't see Right, because I could him. argue, what's the purpose of even, quote-unquote, allowing people to be born who are never going to right. come to Christ? And the answer is his glory. That ultimately, the answer to every question is God's glory. That's that's what it comes down to. Well, what about our good? Our good is part of His glory, of and people, His glory is our greatest. Because good. If these people aren't predetermined to come to God; they're predetermined to hell. Correct. Right, and and theologians would call that a, a double predestination, and that's what um, a lot of Arminians, in particular, those who who are opposed to what we often call Calvinism or Reformed Like, my heart is racing right now just thinking about yeah. this because it scares me. So, so, and that's one of the things that a lot of people have a really hard time with is that God, you know, how we, could, we can say, oh, yes, God would predetermine that you're going to come to Christ. But how could God predetermine that somebody else is going to hell? Well, it's sort of inherent in the decision if i'm predetermining that you're coming to christ right, no, and i'm I not predetermining somebody else so we get uncomfortable because we look at it from our perspective so we don't like the idea of it therefore we judge god so god right. a loving god can't do that right well we have a loving god we have a sovereign god i don't get to decide or define for him what good and righteous and loving is it is who he is. It is his nature. And so when God does it, is it, it is innately good and loving in the best possible outcome. So when God in Romans 9 says, uh, let's see, uh, like I was trying to keep this short. I'm not doing a great job of Sorry, it. But, I, was, I, saw, uh, I have a loaded question with like 10 minutes left. So, <laughs> so uh, he's talking about uh, his his sorrow in his heart for the Jews, that they would, would receive the gospel, uh, and they are not. And he says, it's not as though God's word had failed by, by uh, the Jews not receiving the gospel. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So you can be a Jewish and not be Jewish. Right. You, know, you, can, you can be a child of Abraham uh, by descent or by tradition and not be a child of Abraham by the promise. He'll develop that. <clears throat> Nor because they are all his descendants, no, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, uh, and he quotes the Old Testament here, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's the promise of God to Abraham. In other words, it's not the natural children by birth, natural descent, who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. The, the children of, uh, of Ishmael mm -hmm. were also descendants of Abram. But they were not part of the promise. They were okay. still Gentiles. They were still outside, even though they were children of Abraham. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for this is how the, the uh, where am I at here? Verse 9. This is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return. Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children, another generation later, had one and the same, or two generations later, I guess, uh, had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born... This is uh, Jacob and Esau. Before the twins were born or had done anything good, good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, this is an important point, God has a purpose in his sovereign election, not by works, verse 12, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, mm. and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
In other words, Pharaoh was raised up. The whole reason he became Pharaoh was in order, essentially, to reject God. So that, that, I like that. And some illustration is what really happened, but I like that. That that makes more sense to me using that. Well, he goes further. He says, therefore, verse eighteen, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. Nineteen. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists His will? Pretty logical question right. from a fleshly perspective. Paul's response: But who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to Him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Mm. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? In other words, your your, your destiny is destruction, right. and yet God allows you pleasure and joy right. and life right. and, in this temporal world. God still has his common grace, and he bears with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. Verse 23, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? In other words, what if those who are destined for destruction exist for the very purpose of bringing you into the gospel, that into his mercy? That makes more sense. That makes more sense to me. So... Uh, it's when, weird. It's and, weird to think about from, my, from a human perspective that... You know, people were created for these very specific purposes, and we might not think that they're. Yeah, it, there's so much. It's blowing there. my mind, and we're so, oh, so over time, and I and, have more questions. And I think that, that you know, folks who are coming from a a background that that reject this uh, this idea of predestination, sovereign election, are probably saying, "Yeah, yeah, you." You guys who, who teach this, Calvinists, Reformed folks, or whatever, uh, you always go back to, to Romans 9. Yeah, I do, because I think it's the clearest explanation of it. Not because it's the only place it's there, but because it actually draws out the explanation, as, as you were saying, makes it a little more clear. Mm -hmm. But if you read through the entire book, you can't escape it. Right. What you also can't escape is our human responsibility. We are responsible for our choices. Right. And yet, on some level, that we don't get because we're not there. We have little brains on this side of the curtain. My God little brain has hurts infinite right now. brain on his side of the curtain. <clears throat> and we don't know what God knows. We don't see what God sees. We don't understand his ways. His ways are higher than ours. But all of this is for the purpose of his glory. His purpose in election is always his glory and the good of his people. So my follow-up question to that, and I'm, I'm going to stop because we're way over, but is, is why would I God... I have to do a segment too. I, I have another question, so I want to. Is why would God, you know, like he, Romans uses, uses Pharaoh. You think of Pharaoh at, when, you, when you read about him in the Bible and you think bad man, did all these things, blah, blah, blah. And we can think of people in the 20th, 21st century and earlier than that, bad people did bad things. But it's harder to think, were those bad things, were those bad people for a purpose? Because it's so hard to see the purpose right. in something like the Holocaust, or like, why was Hitler born? <laughs> you know, right. like, or, or whoever. I was just the first one. Why was Charles Manson born? Was there? It's so hard from from my perspective to think that they had a purpose that could somehow glorify God. And, and I don't mean to be glib about it, and I don't mean to to sound like I don't take it seriously or I'm calloused. Exactly the opposite. We're both parents, right. so we can understand this, and we've both been children. What is the most annoying thing parents ever say to their children? It's because I said so. Right. And it's always right. And why is it that parents have to say that? We have to say that. Because our children ask questions that they can't comprehend the answers to. Mm -hmm. They're not in a position to. Even if I were able to explain it to you perfectly, you still wouldn't get it. So it's a matter of, in this relationship, I am sovereign. Therefore, when I have determined this is how it goes, that's how it goes. End of story. And because I, want I know you to it's the best for you. Right. And I want you to understand it. But now isn't the time for you to understand it. Now is the time for you to embrace that I am your Lord, if you will. And I'm going to have George Stark calling me. <laughs> Lord, Lord Mother. Uh. Uh, 
So as you are dealing with these concepts, I think that's one of the main reasons, and we know that God has given us marriage and sexuality and family to illustrate his relationship to his people. And I think that's one of the main reasons that we see that is so that we get on that level, okay, sovereignty works this way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's limited, obviously. I don't have the same sovereignty as God, but within this realm, I am the sovereign. Mm-hmm. I, you know, And so when I say it, you don't get to question it, kid. You do what I tell you. You know, you, as my grandfather used to say, "Yours is not to reason why; yours is but to do or die." And he would say that regularly, uh, and with a chuckle on his face because, you know, that it, it's just how it is. But when we look at it from that perspective, and, and and maybe we can answer the question, you know, as we go through this, so that um, then we can maybe cut this in half or something. I don't know if we can do it with the YouTube, but we can at least do that with the podcast if we need to. Um, as we look at it from that perspective, it, it helps us to be able to understand divine principles through human interactions. And so God gives us, if I can say, a, an object lesson or a word picture mm-hmm. um, in our human relationships. So as a, as a dad, I get now what I couldn't get when I was a kid. Right. That because I said so is a valid answer. And I want my, as a, as a parent, I want my children to understand, especially by the time they get to be adults, they need to understand. Mm-hmm. And if they don't understand, they're not going to be good parents. And that's happened. We see many generation uh, gaps in parenting mm-hmm. where we just have because I said so and there's no growth, there's no relationship, right. there's no development. God is constantly keeping us in relationship, constantly seeking to teach us, to educate us. But there are some things we're not capable of getting, right. at least not yet. Right. When we get home, then we're told, then, then we will we'll see him as he is. We'll know and will be fully known in, in these ways. We'll get things we can't get now. I don't know that that means we're going to answer all of our questions, mm-hmm. but, but what I am pretty sure that means is that the questions that aren't answered are going to be revealed to be not worth asking. Right. And the questions that are worth asking, will, we will have a full grasp of that because that's what our Father wants as a good Father. So ultimately, yeah, it's a harsh reality for us to get that some people are not going to come to Christ. But what we also need to recognize is we don't know who those people are. Right. So you don't get to pick and choose and say, well, that, well, that person's person obviously not anyway. elect. Right. So we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna share the gospel with them or we're gonna see them differently. And that's happened throughout the years. Abuses of every doctrine have existed at various points. And I think that's the case with the doctrine of free will. It has become for us uh, in the last 500 years, especially, I'm sure since well, really since the garden, because that's what it was, was I get to choose. I know God said this, but I get to choose. I'm going to be God. Rather than being in his image, being like God, I'm going to take the place of God. Mm. And so this free will becomes an idol. How God can't tell me what to do. God can't determine this stuff. The only way for this to be real and valid, and I think we even teach this a lot of times when when people ask us these questions, you know, why did God put the tree in the garden? Why did he give him the choice? Right. Well, why and, did God and, even allow Satan to exist? And the answers we <laughs> often give is because, well, God didn't want a robot or God, you know, God, it wouldn't be a real relationship if we didn't have free will. That's not what the Bible says. That's what our human philosophy says because we're leaning on our understanding. We're trying to explain the things of God according to human logic. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what we learn in the scripture. What God is saying is, my ways are higher than yours. You can't get it. Right. Right? I don't. So as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far beyond you my ways are. So it's not yours to question it. It's yours to accept it, to obey it to embrace it, and ultimately even to love it. Mm-hmm. I, I used to hate this doctrine. I've come to love this doctrine because I've realized that if it isn't God, if he hasn't elected me to do this, I am a wretch. Right. I would not do this myself. If I actually had free will, as, as Luther pointed out, my will would be bound over to sin. Mm-hmm. My, my free choices aren't free. Satan owns them. So to the extent that I have free will, as we call it, then I choose against God because I'm stained, I'm tainted, I'm corrupted. I'm already bent away from and against God. So the idea of free will means all of us die. Every single one of us, because of sin, you cannot 
have what, what we would call free will. And yet we're still responsible. Every single one of us is already destined for destruction before we're born, all of us. The exceptions are those that God has predetermined, has, that he has called to life. And so everything that goes on is bringing us to him. So even those who are, you know, you might feel like, I'm just, I'm not elected. I, I haven't been chosen. I, I can't do it. If you are wrestling with these things, if you are able to, to receive this and, and able to choose God, it's because he has drawn you. He has put you here. That's why he can say things like, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. When he said that in the Old Testament, when, when, when the psalmist said that, and when God spoke to the children of Israel uh, at, at Meribah and Massa, when, when they hardened their hearts against him and they're grumbling against God, God was talking to his people. Uh, the psalmist was talking to God's people, saying, you, God's people, Israel, you hardened your hearts in the desert. Mm -hmm. You hardened your hearts against God. Don't do that now. Right. And if you're able to not do that now, then the Lord is working in you to draw you, to quicken you, to give you life so that you can be regenerated, reborn, receive this gospel and take hold of it. For that to happen, you've got to recognize what the gospel is. And, and even before you recognize what the gospel is, you've got to recognize that there's a gap mm -hmm. between you and God. There is... There is a God who is holy and righteous and demands this holiness. And I don't have this holiness. And anything that is not holy can't be with this holy God and is destined for destruction. All things that are less than God will be destroyed in the end so that only the perfect remains. But I'm in that imperfect category, mm -hmm. therefore I'm destined for destruction. I gotta recognize that. That brings fear, that's where Felix was. So that level of conviction, I guess there are varying degrees that I would say of conviction. I get that level of conviction where I, I get it. Oh no, I got a problem. Mm -hmm. And then I, I hear the, the message, I recognize that this Holy One, whom I have to face as a judge, is offering me mercy. And not only offering me mercy, but he's offering me mercy while still maintaining justice by paying my debt for me. While we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love that God has for those that he's called. This is a, a really just mind-blowing thing. I mean, this is, this is bacon your noodle stuff, to, to borrow from a friend I've never met. And as we look at the gospel and we see it, we, we get it, we recognize it, then we have to do something about it. That's when we have to... to actually let that conviction lead to a change in our affections, a change in our thinking. We may not get it all yet, but we recognize that the way we're going, my way, that's going to end badly. Right. That, that's ending in destruction. I got I to gotta flip it. I got to turn it around. Right. We, we're going to, to uh, Tippecanoe River State Park yesterday down in Winnemac, and there was a, a detour, and the road was blocked, but they didn't have any detour signs. They didn't tell you how to go. So we knew that we couldn't go the way we were going. It was blocked. And we had to try and find our way. We were lost like you wouldn't believe in the middle of dead-end roads in, in, in Indiana. Cornfields around us, you know, there's a road on the map that's going, you know, keep going straight, we're going to find the right thing. This is not an exaggeration at all. We're following, the pulled it up on there. The directions kept trying to get us to U-turn basically because there was no good way. And so we're following it. We find a path. Uh, this, if we follow this road, it's going to take us to 30. We're going to be able to get over there. We're, we're driving. All of a sudden, there's like, you know, it's like this was a road 50 years ago, um, but it hasn't been paved in a long time. And, you know, it, it was like from a movie, from a horror movie. Then we get to an intersection. The road keeps going straight on the map but it's woods. Oh, no. You can see that maybe once upon a time there was a road right. there, but it's so long ago that the support lines for the, for the power poles are actually in the road. <laughs> what are we gonna do? So we had repented, we had changed our direction, but we didn't know what the right direction right. was. So we had, to, we had to recognize the problem, we had to repent of our direction and driving. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. I gotta, I gotta turn from my way but I have to actually receive the gospel. Right. I have to actually recognize that there is only one way. 
The way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. He is the only path. He's the narrow door. And there's a, a big wide road that everybody's taking, but that ain't it. Mm-hmm. That goes to destruction. If I want life, I got to go through that narrow door, or as Bunyan put it, the wicked gate. And when I receive that, I receive it by by faith. It, it's God's grace to me. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to be holy enough to see this. I am even to say that I somehow am more spiritual than other people, and I could get this. That isn't how grace works. I receive it by believing and trusting with faith. But even the faith is the gift of God. Mm-hmm. It's not my goodness. It's not my works, my deeds. It's not my will. It's God working in me to do this. And then after I receive this, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we're created for these great works. God has, has designed and created works for us to do as believers in advance. Before we ever came to him, he already had this because we are his workmanship. He did it. He saved us. He drew us. He opened our eyes. He uh, sent Christ to die in our place. And he prepared works, deeds for us to do as a reflection of that relationship. So we recognize it. We repent. We receive the gospel. We reflect the reality of Christ through our relationships. And, And all of that is possible with God as the initiator. So I know for some folks that that opened up more questions. Uh, You can ask us. You can certainly ask us through all of the means that that you're going to tell them in just a moment. But the, the, the reality of it is the ultimate question comes down to who is God. And when I recognize that God is God and I am not God, then I need to humble myself and respond to him as creation to creator and not flip that script. Well, I definitely have more questions, and I hope you guys do too. Feel free to uh, send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. Give us a call if you want to leave a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC, or uh, leave us a message on Facebook, YouTube, whatever. We're all over the place. Um, This is way longer than we usually go, um, and I'm running very late, so i got to get going. But, um, yeah, this is a a topic that, like I said, I certainly have more questions about, so I'm hoping others do too, and we can maybe do a .5 episode, um, a continuation of this. We'll see what we can come up with. All right, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you later.